good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. It's a joy to be here with you all in worship this morning, whether you're, you're here in person or, or watching online or, or listening later in the podcast. I, I just want to say welcome. If you're new here, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here along with Pastor Sue, who I know last week I promised would be here this week. I was wrong. She is done with vacation, but as many of you know, she's a chaplain for the Hayward Police Department. Um, Sue is away at, at the West Coast Post-Trauma Retreat Center, um, leading, helping lead that, where, where first responders with PTSD um, are, are treated as, as a result of repeated exposure to traumatic events. And, and Sue provides chaplain services, such as, as a daily chapel time, as well as emotional and spiritual support for people who are there. So. Next week, she'll be back. I promise that. But in the meantime, if we could keep her and the people she is serving in prayer, and yeah, we look forward to having her back next Sunday. Now, now this morning is week two of a series that we've been calling Our Response. You see, now that we have been saved through the work of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit is working in us and enabling us to respond to the work of Jesus. And so what we're doing in the series is, is looking at how we should live as, as saved children of God, as forgiven children of God. Last week we talked about how our first response to salvation is faith. We talked about how, how faith is impossible without the Spirit's work in us, but instead we respond to what the Spirit's doing in us through faith, through believing. Today we're shifting our focus from, from inward to outward. How to actually live our lives in response to the faith that we have received because of the Spirit's work in us. And, and the first thing we're going to be talking about is Trinitarian living, and, and we're going to get into what that means in a bit. We're going to do so by looking at, at John chapter 16, from verse 12 to 15. So if you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, you'll find that on page 1538. 1538. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own, or, or if you know someone that could use one, uh, please talk to myself after the service. I'd love to send you home with one as our gift to you this morning. All right, before we read, will you pray with me? Blessed Father, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and, and never hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, John 16, starting with verse 12. John is quoting Jesus as he talks to his disciples. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. 
That is why I say that the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. There's so much more I want to tell you, more than you can now bear. I have so much more to tell you, but, but you will not understand it yet. At least not on your own. You need the help of, of this advocate, of, of the Spirit, in order to understand. Man, if that verse isn't one of the best descriptions of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. In, in fact, it, it's kind of this running theme throughout the Gospels, right? Especially in John, where, where Jesus does or says something that, that the disciples are completely clueless to what he means. They, they just don't understand often a reality of our faith as well, right? Many things that are hard to understand given the world that we live in. How, how can God both be above everything and also here intimately with us? It doesn't make sense. How, how can God be totally just and completely loving? It doesn't make sense. And, and countless other theological questions of, or, or difficult to understand theological concepts. One of those really hard-to-understand theological things is the Trinity, right? And, and I think the reason it's so difficult to understand is, is because there's nothing else that exists like it in this world. It's impossible to describe by pointing at, at something else like it because there is nothing. We, we try. We say the Trinity is like an egg where, where there's the yolk, the whites, and, and the shell. Or, or we say it's like the water where, where it can sometimes be vapor, it can sometimes be water, and it can sometimes be ice. But those each are, are kind of their own heresies. They're just a little bit wrong with each of them. And then you get this whole group of people who, who would argue that the Trinity is a, a completely man-made concept because the word doesn't exist anywhere in the Bible. And the second part of that is, is true. The word Trinity does not appear in Scripture. The word was man-made, but, but while we came up with the name for it, that doesn't mean that the concept doesn't exist in Scripture. So, so here's the outline. If you're a note taker, here, here's the three bullet points that you should write down of what we're going to do with this, this message. We're first going to look through a, a few verses of scripture that, that paint a better picture and, and try to get a better understanding of, of what the Trinity is, of who the Trinity is. Second, we're going to look at how the Trinity works together to accomplish some really incredible things. And then... Third, we're going to look at our passage today and talk about what it means to, to reflect this Trinitarian relationship in our own lives. All right, y'all on board? Sweet. Part one, what is the Trinity? The, the word itself can be broken down. Try unity, right? Try meaning three, unity meaning one, trinity, three and one. What the word itself communicates is that there are three unique persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and yet there's, there's only one God. <laughs> we, can, we can understand how this is confusing, though, right? <laughs> Let's look at Scripture to study it more. 
the, the first and, and crucial verse that, that we need to look at in order to understand how the Trinity comes from Deut- uh, how the Trinity works comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one now, this was a crucial fact for Israel it's maybe a little harder to think about now because the majority of, of religious people that we probably know and, and about half the world's population that consider themselves religious believe in monotheism, which means that there is one God. And, and that number is even higher here in America. If, if you're Jewish or Muslim or, or Christian, that's what you believe. That's what your doctrine says. There is only one God. Now, Back in the time that Deuteronomy talks about, this was a unique stance to have. Most, if not all, religions that the Jewish people were were coming into contact with believed in polytheism, believed that that there are more than one God. There are multiple gods. But but the author of Deuteronomy is clear. He, He writes, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this belief set them apart from from just about every other religion of that time. This passage in the Jewish tradition is known as the Shema, which is a Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel. Mark this down. Remember this because it's important. The Lord your God is one. It's probably the most well-known and and most recited verse in Judaism. People often recite it twice a day in the morning and the evening, and they would use it in their worship services. Often they would would cover their eyes to, to really emphasize the hearing part of it. That's how important this verse was, and and it still is. The Lord is one. But there's something about this one God. That, that is more than meets the eye. Let's look at Matthew 3, 16 to 17. This is the account of Jesus' baptism. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now here we see the Father and the Son and the Spirit as three distinct people. Three distinct, uh, doing three distinct things. And and here's why that is important. There's there's a belief called modalism. And and modalists kind kind of believe in the Trinity. They believe that there's the Father and there's the Son and there's the Spirit. But they believe that God chooses which one he wants to be at certain times, whichever suits him the best. He, he morphs and into whatever suits him best, and sometimes he'll act as the son, sometimes he'll act as the father, and sometimes he'll act as the spirit. It's, it's like water. That's the example of water. It's, it's sometimes it's a solid, sometimes, sometimes it's ice, sometimes it's vapor, and then sometimes it's water. But this verse shows that all at the same time, we have the father and the son and the spirit. All three are distinct persons. All right, two more verses before we move on. We, we won't talk about them much, but just to continue to show this unity of the Trinity. And, and the first one comes from the Great Commission. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the what? The name, singular name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
So when you baptize, it's, it's in the one name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And this last verse um, is one of two verses I typically rotate between when I give the blessing. It, it comes from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Here we have it again. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Three distinct persons, but one God. All right, are you taking notes? We're, we're moving on to the next section. Part two, how does the Trinity work together? And I want to start by looking at the, the creation story. The, the first three verses of the Bible, Genesis 1, verses 1 to 3, says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the first three verses of the Bible, we already have mention of all three people of the Trinity. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's the Father. Verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's the Spirit. Now, the Son is a little more hidden in these verses, but he's there if you look hard enough. Let, let's think to John 1, verse 1. If you know your Bible well, you, you probably know this one. In the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Genesis 1, verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, and the Word of God acted. There's the Son, the Word. Then later in this chapter, God says something that, that's a little weird at first glance. He says, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness. It's plural, in, in our image, in, in our likeness. And some people write this off as, as God is speaking to the angels. But we're not created in the image of the angels. I don't have six wings and I'm not covered in eyes, right? That's what I would look like if I was created in the image of the angels. No, we're created in the image of God. It's the Trinity talking, speaking to one another. One of the early church fathers uses this image, and, and I don't remember who said it, so I'm sorry if they're watching online, which they aren't. Uh, uh, I tried to find it, but, but I couldn't. But this image was given to, to me in, in the, my class in the very first semester of seminary, and it's stuck in my mind ever since. But it's, it's God with the Word as his right hand and the Spirit as his left, forming creation together, working in harmony, in unity, to form, to mold creation. And then there's prayer where all three persons of the Trinity work together, each with unique roles, in order for our prayers to be heard and answered. Maybe you've heard it before, but we pray to the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said this. This is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name doesn't mean we can't pray to the Son and, and we can't pray to the Spirit. They're all one God. 
But the Father's unique role is to hear and respond to our prayers. So we pray to the Father. The Son's role is as mediator, to kind of go in between, to hear our prayers and bring them to God, before God. That's why we pray through Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And lastly, the Spirit is the one that makes our prayers even possible to be prayed. We, we talked last week how we need the Spirit in order to have faith, and, and we need faith in order to pray. And so it's by the Spirit that we pray. All three persons of the Trinity working together as one so that our prayers may be heard and they may be answered. Each person is their own person and unique, but they're working together as one because they are one. They live in unity and communion with each other. So back to our passage today. John 16. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. This, this is the Father giving to the Spirit. He will glorify me. This, the Spirit gives to Jesus, to the Son. He, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Jesus is giving to the Spirit. All that belongs to the Father is mine. The Father gives to the Son. The Father, er, and this is why I said that the Spirit will receive from me. This is Jesus, again, the Son giving to the Spirit. The Spirit will receive from me what he'll make known to you. Lastly, the Spirit gives to us. This is the, the idea behind this theological term, perichoresis. Peri mean around, choreo meaning dance, so dance around. It's, it's, uh, like choreography is literally a word that means to uh, writing a dance. This means dance around. Now Neil Planning, a, a wonderful theologian, puts it this way. At the center of the universe, self-giving love is the dynamic currency of the Trinitarian life of God. The persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other. They defer to one another. When early Christians spoke of perichoresis and God, they, they meant to suggest that each divine person harbors the other at the center of his being. In a constant movement of overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the other. The idea behind perichoresis is, is that each member of the Trinity regards the other members as the very center of their own being. Like, like the earth revolves around the sun and, and the moon revolves around the earth, each person of the Trinity is revolving around the other person. Making them the center. Each person exalting the others above themselves. Each person giving to the others. Each person receiving graciously from the others. C.S. Lewis writes that the whole dance or drama or, or pattern of this three-person life is to be played out in each and every one of us. So let's just do a thought experiment. Just do it with your family members or close friends in mind. Now imagine what your life would be like if, if everyone thought that, that I'm the big deal. So when there's a door to be opened, everybody just waits for someone else to open the door for them. 
When there's a meal to be made, everyone just sits back and, and waits for someone else to cook them the meal. When there's dishes to be done, everyone thinks, well, well I'm not going to do the dishes. I'm, I'm the center of this universe. Someone should do them for me. I'm the big deal. If you're a parent, you may be nodding along, right? <laughs> if every person acted this way, then nothing would get done. Doors wouldn't be open. Meals wouldn't be made. Dishes wouldn't be cleaned. It would be miserable if, if everyone was insisting that they themselves were that big deal. But now imagine the opposite. When there is a door to be opened, everyone is rushing to open the door for one another. No, no, no. When, when there's a meal to be made, everyone's telling the other, no, 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 you, you sit down and relax. I'll make it. When there's dishes to be done, everyone's rushing to clean them for the other one. Everyone's working together, doing what they need to do to serve one another, to, to make the other person more important than they are, to put the other at the center. Imagine if there's a family that lived that way for a week. What, what kind of life would they have? It would be fantastic, right? What, what if the entire world acted that way? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Because that's the way that God intended the world to be. That's the dynamic that, that is at the center of the universe, the, the dynamic that exists within God's own life. The kind of living that God intends for his children to live into. The flow of our lives tainted by sin is, is inward. I live for me, myself, and I. I harbor myself at, at the very center of, the, of my being. I, I'm the main character of my story. But the flow of our lives redeemed in Christ is outward, making others the center of our own beings, taking our cue from the nature of God himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself in Scripture and in our lives as Trinity. Thank you for the example you have shown us, a God who loves, a God who gives, and a God who communes humbly. Lord, empower us to be able to live in the same way with those around us. Help us to love the way that you do to hold others higher than ourselves. To be able to love and serve and, and to be able to humbly be loved and be served. Father, we pray these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. By the power respond in, in a way that it's a little different than we normally do. Um, we're going to respond by saying part of a creed. Now, now we all have creeds, right? It, it's just something that we believe. I believe that the Spurs, the San Antonio Spurs are a better franchise than the Golden State Warriors. It's, it's a creed I live by in my life. <laughs> Did I lose all you? I just lost all you, huh? <laughs> no, but, but as Christians... We have our own creeds as well. Something that unifies us across denominations. It's, it's not something 
we, we can say these creeds with our Lutheran brothers and sisters. We, we don't have to argue about whether predestination is real or not. But these are creeds that exist across time, across denominations, and across areas as well. So we're going to say part of the Athanasian Creed. It's a very long creed. That's why we're only doing part of it. And, and we're going we're gonna to do this in kind of a call and response way. So I'm going to say the white words. And you all will respond with the yellow. Now this is part of the universal Christian faith. That we worship one God in Trinity. And the Trinity in unity. Never blending their persons. Nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another. And that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is created. The Son is uncreated. The Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable. The Son is immeasurable. The Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal. The Son is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are not three eternal beings. There is but one eternal being. So too there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings. But there is one uncreated and immeasurable being. Similarly, the Father is almighty. The Son is almighty. The Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet there are not three almighty beings. There is but one almighty being. Thus the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods. There is but one God. Thus the Father is Lord. The Son is Lord. The Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three lords. There is but one Lord. Just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually as both God and Lord, so Christian religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Accordingly, there is one Father, not three fathers. There is one Son, not three sons. There is one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Nothing in this Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. So in everything, as was said earlier, we, we must worship their trinity and their unity, and their unity and their trinity.